welcome our speaker today, which is Charles Park. So please help me welcome Charles. And he's going to be speaking more on um, Tell Me How, please. So I love how enthusiastic y'all are. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Melinda. Very nice of you to fill in for Sarah. You're doing an admirable job. Um, Hello, everyone. So, the fall season is upon us. Yeah, school started. The summer's gone. I like summer. Do you like summer? But I do also like that the kids are back to school. So, you know, it's good either way. But uh, you guys hopefully had a good summer. Yeah? Good. Um, So, as many of you know, I had a sabbatical last year to work on my back problems. And when you take time off, you get a lot of time to yourself. And when you have a lot of time to yourself, you get a lot of thoughts, right? Thoughts come up, and not all of them are welcome thoughts. Some of them are really pesky and, you know, unwelcome. Like, did I choose right? This thought came up from time to time, and it was not fun. Does that ever happen to you? Did I choose right? Because, you know, you kind of think your life, my life, your life, everybody's life, life could take just so many different shapes depending on the choices we have made. And you wonder if you made a different choice. If you zigged rather than zagged, what could your life look like? For example, 25 years ago, I skied down a triple black diamond slope in icy conditions because it was April. You know, the snow had melted and frozen again. I hadn't skied in years. And I remember standing up there as I got off the lift looking down at this ski slope and it was icy and it was really steep triple black diamond you know they don't put that on for no good reason right so I'm looking down this slope and I'm thinking you know this could be bad This could really, like, hurt me, right? But then I was with a bunch of good friends, and they were really, like, this was spring break. You know, I had visited my old friend from college living in Colorado, and they had taken a, uh, uh, you know, this trouble. They took trouble to take me and, and show me a good time because it's Colorado, and they thought, you know, where could we go? Let's go to, like, our famous ski slopes, right? So they took me to Breckenridge. You know, it's supposed to be a really, you know, a famous ski slope. So they had taken all this trouble. They're up there with me, and they're all, like, laughing and confident. They're having a good time. And I'm like, I'm really nervous about this. But I hate to be a spoiled sport. You know what I mean? I, I'm a people pleaser. Anybody else people pleasing? Kind of, you hate to say no to anyone. You kind of go along with, you know, you go along to get along, right? You don't want to spoil the mood. 
So I thought, well, what's the worst that could happen? Maybe I'll fall, but, you know, it'll be all right, right? Well, what do you know? I had a terrific fall, right? I was just tumbling head over heels. It was just horrible. And I got up with this back pain and radiating pain down my leg that has never gone away, you know, for 25 years. And it was really bad the last four or five years. It just, I wasn't even very functional. So as I took time off to work on my back problem, it was natural for me to wonder, why did I go down that slope? <laughs> why? Oh, why? Right? Why couldn't you just say no? I don't feel comfortable. Why, why didn't I have the guts to say, you know what, guys, you know, a few years ago I could have done this, but I've been in graduate school for a while. I haven't gotten out in a long time. I really can't do this, guys. Why, why couldn't I just say what was on my heart? Why couldn't I do that? Why did I just go along with that? Does that ever happen to you? Do you ever, like, replay some scenario in your past and wonder, why did I do that? I mean, why did I, why did I take that step? Why did I say yes to that? Why did I say no to, why didn't I say no to that? Why couldn't I stick up for myself? Why did I put myself in that situation? Right? Does that ever happen? Right? I'm not the only one, right? It's not hard to get lost brooding, brooding over your past mistakes. That's not the only thing I think about. I had a choice in college to pursue graduate degree. I, I double majored in computer science and economics. And professors in both departments uh, tried to recruit me in their PhD programs. You know, they were like, I guarantee it, you will get in. You know, I'm trying to recruit you. You will get in, just apply. And uh, I ended up choosing economics. And I wonder sometimes what my life could have been if I went the other direction, right? This was 92. If I had majored or went to PhD program in 92 at Stanford in computer science, it was a very small department back then. I mean, the entire college, there were less than 50 people in undergrads majoring in computer science. You know who else was there at that time? The founders of Google were in that department, in that very small department at the exact same time I would have been there at the dawning of the Internet age, right? Now, that could have been interesting, right? So I might have missed out on some things there, right? The life could have turned out very differently if I had made a different choice. So I wonder, the what-if scenarios, you know, you play over and over in your head late at night when you have nothing else to do, you start wondering. It's a common experience, right? That's why there are lots of songs about things like this, like Glory Days or I'll Never Dance Again. I don't know why, like, I'll Never Dance Again. It's just on radio a lot. These, and I'm like, that's like 40 years old song, but Anyway, I'm getting off track. So, all right. So, all the choices we make in life, of course our lives could have gone differently if we made different choices, right? 
And some choices, if we made a better choice, life could have gone better, right? I can see that. It's possible. And it's also possible that brooding over your past can give you some lessons for your future, you know? Like next time it happens, do X rather than Y, right? But when we get caught up in regret and brooding over our past, it's not just this dispassionate, let's learn from our mistakes. You know, learning from your mistake, that doesn't take too much time, right? What keeps you up at night brooding is this beating up on yourself. You relive your past, and it just, the scenario plays over and over and over. It has no good purpose except to give you heartburn, right? Serves no good purpose. The advice from the Bible is not to waste time in regret. Let me read you today's passage from Ecclesiastes. It says, It is good for people to eat, drink, and enjoy their work under the sun during the short life God has given them and to accept their lot in life. It is a good thing to receive wealth from God, good health to enjoy it. Enjoy your work and accept your lot in life. This is indeed a gift from God. God keeps such people so busy enjoying life that they take no time to brood over the past. Good advice, right? Don't brood over the past. That's the conclusion. Don't brood over the past. Life is too short. You have a short life. Don't waste it brooding. Don't overthink it. Enjoy your today. Get busy enjoying life today. Right? That's the advice. The passage seems to contrast a choice between brooding over the past or enjoying your life one or the other. You can enjoy your life or you can regret and brood over your past. And that makes sense, right? It's hard to enjoy your life if you get caught brooding over your past. If you are stuck in the past, you can't really enjoy your today. Regret blinds you to opportunities that's right in front of you. Because you're attention and focus is in your past. So your current reality, it's kind of, you can't really see what's there because you're just thinking about the past. You're not thinking about right what's right in front of you. That's why I love this old hymn. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day. Your current reality. This day that you have, that's the only reality you have. Anything else, all these what-if scenarios, would have, could have, should have, all these scenarios in your head, they don't exist. They are not real. They only exist in your head. You know? So the only reality you can enjoy is right in front of you. We are being robbed of our actual life every second we are caught up in our past in regret. So regret is not some harmless waste of time. Regret brooding over your past can cause serious harm and modern science agrees with it. Did you know that regret has shown 
to disrupt your immune system, disrupt your hormone system. It can lead to depression, chronic stress, and it shortens. It has shown to shorten this thing called telomeres in your DNA, in the cell, cellular structure. Telomeres regulate how many times your cells can regenerate. So if it's shortened, then that means your cell has less number of times it can regenerate. That means literally it's degrading your body and shortens your lifespan, right? So regret not only causes spiritual and emotional harm, it actually harms you even physically. So have I convinced you yet? Not good, right? It's no good. Regret is not very good. We are agreed. Amen? Okay, so we are agreed. But here's the more important question. And that is, how? How do we escape the clutches of regret? I mean, if you find yourself staying up at night, brooding over your past... It's not like you want to, right? You're caught up in it. It's happening to you. And you're like, oh, I got to wake up and go to work tomorrow. I don't want to stay up. But it's hard to get out of it, right? So how do you get out of it? That's the more important thing. We're in a sermon series, Tell Me How, please, to focus on the hows. Because... I think the how is the hard part. (laughs) It's a lot easier to know or talk about what's the right thing to do. I think it's a lot harder to know how to to do that thing that we know is the right thing to do. That's why here at the river, we make sure to include practical suggestions. Have you noticed that? We always have practical suggestions section. The reason is because we don't want to just talk about what's right. Talk is cheap. Like I said last week, kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, the Bible tells us. It's a matter of power. Power. How? The power to do things. To actually get things done. So we give you practical tips. Now, these practical tips is not guaranteed to work for everyone. Right? I mean, all we can do is tell you some perspectives and tips that have been helpful to us in the hope that it will inspire you to come up with your own ideas, to apply these things to your own life in your own way so that it will somehow help you to do things. Right? Is that a good thing? Okay, so let's proceed on that. Give you some practical suggestions. I've always found that it's great to uh, break down uh, the steps of how. Like if you're trying to assemble furniture, for example, you need to break down the steps. So let me, get, let me try to break down regret and how to get out of regret in smaller steps, smaller components. I find that there are two components to regret. There are two rejections when you are in regret. One is, we are rejecting our current reality. 
And secondly, we are rejecting our current self. We're saying two things to our soul. First, we are saying, if we made a better choice, our life would have been better. What does that mean? That means my life today sucks. I don't like it. I wish my life were something different. So I am rejecting my current life, right? And that's not all, because who made that stupid choice to put you in this reality that you don't like? Yourself, right? So in the end, you have only yourself to blame. I have only myself to blame skiing down that slope. So I'm also rejecting myself. The two rejections that come with regret. Your current reality and your current self. So when you find yourself thinking about your past and regretting your choices, this is what I want you to do. First thing I want you to do is try to embrace yourself in the love of God. Try to embrace yourself in the love of God because you're rejecting yourself at that moment. Try to see yourself through the eyes of God. You know, sometimes I don't like myself. Do you like yourself all the time? No, right? Sometimes I don't like myself. I, I find myself not measuring up in my own eyes. For example, when I go to Korea, sometimes I feel bad about myself because, you know, there are all these family gatherings. And literally every day there is a family gathering, <laughs> you know. And some of my family relatives, they're very accomplished, very successful. So, you know, of course I, I enjoy getting together with the family, but sometimes when I get together with my family, I measure myself against some of these people and I just feel very small. You know what I'm saying? They seem very successful and I'm just not doing that great compared to them. You know, because they're just incredibly successful. And then I can find myself beating up on myself, especially given the early promise I had. I kind of wonder, you know, did I fulfill all of my potential with all the opportunities that I was given did I measure up to everyone's expectations including mine and I can look at my failures and I can look at the ways that I have fallen short and in that moment it's really easy to be hard on yourself does that happen to you? do you ever compare yourself to Someone else, maybe a childhood friend, and kind of, well, you know, he's doing this, and what am I, what is my life like, right? You know, compare yourself to maybe your siblings, or your cousins, or your relatives, or your parents, a friend on Facebook. You know, high school friends that you haven't really seen in a long time, but you see them in Facebook. You know, in high school, they were kind of losers. You know, you're doing so much better than them. <laughs> but then now with Facebook, you can see what they're doing, and boy, 
tables have turned. <laughs> right? Now, social media these days, it makes it really easy these days <laughs> to compare yourself to other people. Right? It used to be, you know, keeping up with Joneses down the street. You know, a street has only so many houses. So there are only so many people you can compare yourself to, you know, and pretty much everybody's kind of living in a similar way because it's just similar neighborhood. But now with Facebook and Instagram, you can compare yourself to people living across the globe, anywhere doing anything. And, and people, when they're not doing so well, they don't post those things. They only post things when they're like on an unbelievable vacation in Costa Rica, right? When they moved into unbelievable mansions. And that's the thing that draws your... The news only tells you horrible things. Facebook, you know, and you compare yourself and you just go, yeah, I'm not measuring up. They're doing so much better. Or even your own hopes and dreams from your childhood. Have you measured up to your own potential? Have you measured up to those dreams you had as a child? Does your current life stack up to that? Does it? I think a lot of people will feel like, I've fallen short. The answer is no. It's not all that I have dreamed for and hoped for in my life. Right? That can feel bad. That can get you in a dark place, doesn't it? But when I turn to God, this is what God says to me. God says, let go of those yardsticks. Let go of those measurements, the judgments, and comparing you're doing. God says, your worth and your value is in the cross. God says, I am the judge. There is no other. Do not put any other judge in your life. And God says, I say you are worthy. I say you are valuable. I say you are successful. In my eyes, I have embraced you. I like you and love you for who you are. Amen? That is the message of the cross. And that is a powerful thing to experience. This unconditional love towards yourself. You know, for someone to love you and like you for being who you are, even one person to do that for you can anchor you in life for all the days of your life. To know that God does that for you. God who is the ultimate judge of all value in this universe. He sees everything. He sees all the problems in your life. And he says, you are loved. You are valued. Amen? He has died for you to get that message across. And that is what we profess to believe as Christians. That is the heart of Christian faith. That is the essence. If you believe that, that's what makes you Christian. 
right? Now, of course, this is not easy to believe and accept. We know ourselves. We know our flaws and our problems. We look at ourselves and there are parts of ourselves we think, nobody can accept this. I don't accept this. I reject this part. I made that stupid choice. I make these stupid choices. I don't like myself. So even if God says, you are loved and valued, it's hard to believe that from our hearts because we have not accepted and embraced ourselves. Right? It's hard. But that is the work of faith. That is why it takes effort. That is what takes discipleship. So this is a very important question. Now we have to really ask ourselves all the time. What do I believe? What do I believe and who do I believe about myself? Do you believe God? Or do you put some other voice above God's voice? When you look at yourself. Is your own voice louder than God's voice? And I have to be honest here. Even as a pastor, I have to say, oftentimes my own voice and the voice of the world is louder than God's voice. Don't you find that to be true? Oftentimes. That's why we have to fight the good fight of faith. That's why the Bible tells us, do not neglect to get, gather together and tell each other these truths. Because you will slide right back into what the world says about you and about the world and about God 24-7. So keep getting together and remind each other of this truth from God. God's voice that says, you are loved. Embrace yourself. God has taken away all the judgments, all the rejections. When I'm in that faith, instead of all the worldly mentality that judges and rejects me, it becomes a lot easier to accept myself and accept my reality. I become a lot more grateful when I'm in that faith where I can accept myself. When I accept myself, it's easier to accept my reality. I become grateful. I, I, I see what's good about my life. We live in a free country. That's a great thing. We, we, we can say and believe whatever we want. That's a privilege, guys. I know there are so many things that's wrong with America, and I'm not saying turn a blind eye to what could be better. I'm just saying... There's also so many good things about where we live. We have indoor plumbing, guys. You know, seriously, I'm being serious. I was born into a household that did not have indoor plumbing. For the first seven years of my life, there was no indoor plumbing. If we, I had to go, go poop or something, excuse me. <laughs> If I have to take care of my business, 
I would have to go outside, you know, into this outhouse. That smells really bad. <laughs> I still remember. And if you have to go in the middle of the night when you're five years old, and you're going out there and you're looking at this and you could fall in and you could smell all this. I mean, it's horrible, guys. But half the world lives in that. Still. I think all of us have indoor plumbing. I mean, I, anybody have? I mean, sorry if I... <laughs> but I think we do, right? That's a good thing. You can be grateful for that. You can start noticing what is good about your life and not take those things for granted. I don't often pay attention. I mean, when is the last time you have paid attention? When you open the faucet and go, oh my God, there's water coming on. When's the last time you have been grateful for that? Probably never, right? I don't often pay attention to these things. But it's important to pay attention to what is good and right about your life because it immunizes you against regret. So this is my final suggestion. Find joy in as many things as possible today. In today, in your life, find things that you can be grateful for, uh, things that you can enjoy. Let me read you today's Bible passage again. It is good for people to eat, drink, and enjoy their work under the sun during the short life God has given them. How many of you enjoy your work? Oh, wow! Yeah, that's amazing. I thought maybe one or two, but like it's like half the people here. Maybe you guys are really Christian. Because <laughs> that is the mark of Christian. You know? Accept your lot in life. It is a good thing to receive wealth from God and the good health to enjoy it. Enjoy your work and accept your lot. This is indeed a gift from God. God keeps such people so busy enjoying life that they take no time to brood over the past. Now, isn't it interesting that the Bible is advising you to enjoy your food, drink? In fact, did you notice how many times the word enjoy comes up in this short passage? I mean, I think there's like five lines in this passage. And there are how many? Enjoy your work. Enjoy it. Enjoy. 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 <laughs> Every sentence, there's an enjoy in there. Right? It's amazing. Because sometimes we think the Bible is a killjoy. Right? Sometimes we think church-going righteous people look like this. <laughs> right? You know, uptight. No fun, all grim, do the right thing, right? We have this misperception that righteousness excludes fun and joy. Like, wasn't there a movie like Footloose? I just know that movie, Kevin Bacon. It was a movie about like how dancing's too much fun. So, you know, church-going righteous people ban dancing, you know, the town-wide. We have that perception that faith, excludes fun things like dancing. But did you know that the, I think this is probably the most common description of Jesus by his contemporaries, is that he was known for enjoying his food and his drink. Jesus himself says this about himself. He says, the Son of Man himself 
came eating and drinking, and they say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is proved right by her deeds. So a lot to say about that, but I just want you to notice, Jesus is commenting on the fact that the label that people have put on him is that he enjoys his drinks and his food. <laughs> like he is self-reflecting and saying, well, this is what I'm known for. I like my food and I like my drink. <laughs> you know? In, so indeed, in so many passages, Jesus is found at a party. Right? All these teachings he gives, the context so often is that he's at a party. The wedding at Cana, that's a party. Party thrown by Zacharias. Party thrown by Levi. You know, it's it just, he's so often at a party. Even our central sacrament communion. Early communion was not this wafer and, 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 and dipped in a wine. It was actually people coming together to drink and eat together. That's what faith was known for. Now, I'm not advocating for gluttony and alcoholism. Okay? Obviously not. That's just serious. Alcoholism is a serious killer. And it's so easy to deny that you have a problem if you actually do have a problem. So even a whiff of it, you got to take it seriously and get help. You know, gluttony, overeating, that's a serious killer. We got to take those things seriously. All I'm trying to say is Jesus was not a killjoy. Jesus was known for laughter and joy and life wherever he went. And as disciples of Jesus, that's what we have to emulate. And that's how we can shine in this world. When we make mistakes, we don't spend days beating up on ourselves. We can shake it off because mistakes don't define us. What defines us is God's love. What defines us is the cross. So we can remain secure in our worth no matter what we do. And so we can be joyful no matter what. That's how we can shine in this world. And that's something we have to work on. That's the rich inheritance for the children of God. Joy is serious business of heaven. Joy is the serious business of heaven. That's the postcard we are sending out this fall to go with uh, uh, our fall sermon series, How Faith Can Make Life Better. Sounds good, right? I'm looking forward to that. We're going to talk about things like hope. We're going to talk about practically how faith makes life better. Joy is serious business of heaven. I'm not talking about momentary happiness that comes from circumstances. I'm talking about deep joy from deep place in your heart. That's unshakable. That holds you and anchors you. When life around you feels like it's falling apart and you can brood over your past and you wonder how your life could have been better, you can turn to God. You can turn to God's voice that can anchor you and lift you up from that dark place that gives you hope 
in a hopeless place, that becomes light in a dark place. And you turn to God, God promises there will be a stream of living water that flows through your heart. Love of the living God that flows through and helps you find yourself again. Amen? Let's turn to God right now. Let's turn to God together because He promises that when we gather together and turn to Him, He will come. He will be found. Love of the living God will flow through to you. So, do you mind if you stand? It's sort of like an active stance to say, yes, I'm going to grab after faith. Believe in God's voice rather than my own voice or the voice of the world. I'm going to believe that joy will come to me. Let's turn to God. Holy Spirit, we turn to you now. Because we need it. We need joy, God. This world is so good at squeezing joy out of us. This world tells us every day that we have made mistakes. Our lives could be better. Look at all these other people who's doing and having a better time. Our world tells us what we are deprived of. And some of that may be true, probably is true, but it squeezes joy out of us, oh God. And so, Lord, come. We cry out to you from the deepest places in our hearts. We cry out to you together. Send us the stream of living water that you have promised. Send us your assurance that you are with us. Make your voice clear this morning. Let us hear your voice that says, You are accepted. You are worthy. Your future is in my hands. And I have heaven ahead for you. Help us to hear that voice. Help us to hear the hope that comes from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.